Uh, Holy Spirit, okay, uh, that's where we're going today. Uh, it's pretty interesting in, in the book of Romans. Uh, we've covered Romans chapter 1 through 7, and in seven chapters, uh, the Holy Spirit is only mentioned twice, uh, once in Romans chapter 1 and once again in Romans chapter 5. Now, in Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul, this is like the Holy Spirit chapter. Uh, the Holy Spirit's mentioned uh, just a few times after chapter 8, but does anyone want to guess how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in chapter 8? Twelve. Five. Think big. Think big, people. Shay, did you say 20? Oh, Shay, you're thinking too big. It's actually 20 times. So if you think about it, it's pretty phenomenal, or at least pretty interesting, that Holy Spirit's only mentioned twice in seven chapters of a very theologically driven book. There's only two mentions. But in one chapter of this 16-chapter letter, uh, 20 times the Holy Spirit. So I think one of the things Paul wants to make clear is the Holy Spirit is very central to our relationship to God and has a great impact on our relationship with God. So a little word association. I say Holy Spirit. What comes to, don't shout it out because that's kind of a dangerous question. But what comes to mind when you immediately think of the Holy Spirit? I think there's got to be one thing that comes to mind is just confusion. Uh, all of us have very, maybe, well, definitely differing church backgrounds and experiences. And so when it comes to the Holy Spirit, some of you just might be good old-fashioned confused. Uh, I used to lead worship at uh, a church back in Columbus, Ohio. We, uh, I was part of a band called Simply Three. You want to know why we were called Simply Three? There was three people. And I'm convinced Christians are not very creative when it comes to naming things, and we just wanted to be consistent with that. So <laughs> Simply Three, leading worship, and uh, I thought it would be good as a young worship leader, go to a worship conference. And so I went to a worship conference, and uh, I will just say it was much more of a charismatic experience than I'd ever kind of witnessed. It was kind of the, where people are running around with banners and waving flags, and I've been in environments where people were talking or speaking in tongues before, so that didn't completely, it was not my norm, but I had witnessed it before. But the thing that I had not seen was people uh, getting slain in the Spirit. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but it was very new to me. It was kind of, at best, different. Uh, so in a room of maybe 500, 600 people, uh, the individual who was leading this thing up front, uh, literally, it was kind of one of those motions, Holy Spirit, breathe on this room. And uh, I just kind of started to see people fall over. And it was not like completely like the wave, where it was just like this section of the room started falling over. But I started noticing it was getting closer to me. Uh, like people 10 aisles, 10 rows in front of me, had one person had fallen over. And I was like, wow, this is, this is interesting. I'm it's getting closer. What's going to happen when it comes to my row? Uh, and the person literally that was in the row in front of me fell over, and it didn't look pretty because they really hit their head, and I was like, oh, good Lord, it, what do I do? But then something interesting happened in that it apparently passed me by and went to the row behind me. And so I'm there standing completely confused, like, huh, something's happening in this room. I'm completely confused by it. I'm a little scared by it. And there's someone who might be dying on the floor. And I don't know if I should call an ambulance or would that wreck their moment with the spirit? A bit of a, 
different experience for, for sure, but it left me very confused. And some of you might have experiences that are similar, uh, where you think of the Holy Spirit and it's just nothing but confusion. Uh, some of you might think of the Holy Spirit and have just nothing but hurt. Uh, I've Unfortunately, I've never uh, been part of this, but I've unfortunately heard many testimonies of men and women who grew up in a situation or environment where they were forced to do something that was reflective of the Holy Spirit, whether it was speaking in tongues or doing a prophetic word, and it just wasn't happening. And so they were made to feel really guilty and bad because they couldn't speak a tongue. And so they would literally have to say something in the form of gibberish just to get the person off their back. And so that left them angry, frustrated, and hurt because is something broke within me when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Some of you, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, you literally just might be disappointed. I've tried to do this. I've tried to experience that. I've I've read, I've studied, I've prayed, and it just doesn't seem like the Holy Spirit is making much of a difference in my life. Um, Some of you, when you think of the Holy Spirit, you honestly might just get overwhelmed with, I don't know what to make of a spirit that lives inside of me. I don't have a category for nothing else lives in me. I got parts and organs, but what does it mean that the Holy Spirit lives within me? So I'm certainly not covering the gamut of all of the emotions and feelings as it relates to the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to guess, I just have to say Holy Spirit in church, and there's a lot of emotions and feelings, experiences, bad or good, unhealthy or maybe healthy, uh, that have formed what you think of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to challenge or encourage us today is rather than letting our experience or lack of experience with the Holy Spirit dictate or guide what we think about the Holy Spirit, let's let Scripture. Let's see what Scripture has to say about who the Holy Spirit is and how we are to relate with the Holy Spirit rather than what some guy in a white suit on TV says this is what the Holy Spirit should be doing. I'm just too convinced when it comes to the spiritual realm, the realm of the Holy Spirit, people are driven by their experience or lack thereof experience. And that's how their theology, their understanding, what they think of the Holy Spirit is formed. And I think that's very backwards. I think we will have experiences with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with a triune God, but my experiences need to be tempered through Scripture. This is what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 26. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is what Paul says about the Holy Spirit uh, in his letter to um, the church in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And you also were included, bless you, in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. So as soon as you heard the gospel, received the gospel, you were marked and sealed. And he goes on in verse 14, um, end of verse 13, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So if I was to just look at those two verses, and obviously this is just two verses, it's not the entire exhaustive list of scripture as it relates to the Holy Spirit, 
But according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit was sent by God in Jesus' name to teach and to remind. Well, so you ask the question, will that teach me and to remind me of what? Well, if he sent in Jesus' name and Jesus modeled, exemplified, and taught us the way to live our life with God, our life with people, our life with ourselves, the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to teach, is to remind us of how we are to live our lives with God, with ourselves, and with the community around us. Paul makes it pretty clear that the Holy Spirit is a fulfilled promise, that when we come to Jesus, it's not just Jesus who's gone, we actually now have the Holy Spirit who resides in us. So again, I'm just trying to belabor this point. I want Scripture, I want the Bible to inform how I understand, how I experience, how I relate to God, to Jesus, and to the Holy Spirit. Now, Romans 8, I've already mentioned, 20 times Paul unpacks, uh, teaches about the role of the Holy Spirit. And so today, I'm just asking one question. Now, for those of you who know how I preach, that's not totally true. Um, I have one big idea, one big question uh, that I want to put before us, and I'm going to answer it in four different ways as we walk through a good 12 to 15 verses in Romans. And the question is simply this. If you have a pen, I'd write it down because it's pretty important. What difference does the Holy Spirit make in my life? I think most people, they don't really know much about the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit's not making much of a difference. So the question that, one question that is the big one for today is simply, what difference does the Holy Spirit make in my life? I like how Jay Packer, who is a very old um, a pastor and a seminary professor, theologian, he said this about the Holy Spirit. The Christian's life in all its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. So apart from him... Not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, there will be no believers and no congregations at all. What I love about what Dr. Packer said uh, is just, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we don't have anything. We don't even, I'm not even a Christian. If I don't have the Holy Spirit, I'm not a Christian. And if there's no Holy Spirit and there's no Christians, there's no church. This would just be a club, a country club at best. So the Holy Spirit is essential to us even being Christians, nonetheless us being in church. Romans chapter 8 says this, starting at verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Now as I'm reading this, kind of pay attention. He's painting a picture, and it's a picture of two different people. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Just stick with that. If one life, one picture, one portrait leads towards death, to death, and one leads towards life and towards peace, you can already start asking the question, which way do I want to go? Which life 
do I want to be living? If one ends in just destruction, but one ends in life and peace. He goes on in uh, verse 7. The mind governed by the flesh, it's hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, God's law nor can it do so. Verse 8. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. It's a powerful verse right there in verse 8. Those who live life in the flesh, you've got no shot, no shot whatsoever of pleasing God. And what's pretty phenomenal when you consider just the flesh is we can do a lot of things in the flesh to make ourselves look really good. We can pretty ourselves up, as it were, and look really good on the outside. We can actually do really good deeds or good works or perform in such a way where other people would look at our lives and say, man, you're a pretty decent guy, a pretty decent woman. But God could still look at that very life that looks good on the outside, that looks well-kept, put together on the outside, and say, actually, that's a life that is hostile towards, towards him. The other life, the life that is... Um, uh, this one that is led and guided by the Spirit, what does that actually mean to, to be led or guided uh, to be the second portrait? Not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. And I love Paul's language. He just says, your mind is set on. And really, that, another way to understand that is the direction of your life is going there. So if your mind is set on the flesh, the direction of your life reflects that. So everything in your life, it's, it's a very self-centric, a very self-focused, a uh, very self-sustained lifestyle. Life is about you, it's for you, and everyone should get on board with that. That's kind of the life of the flesh. That's the direction of my life. But the person who is life of the spirit, it's honestly completely opposite of that. It's a life that's not about me. It's a life that's about God. It's a life that's about what God wants, what God desires, and the bent or the direction my mind is set on going where God is. My mind or my life is bent on doing what God would want me to do. So if God didn't want me to be in a certain situation or a certain relationship or a certain, you name it, well, my mind is bent that I will go to the place God has called me to go. Two lives, two paintings, two portraits, two people, one headed Life in the flesh and life in the spirit. Now, I've already highlighted this, but one life leads towards death. That literally means eternal separation from God, missing God in the here and now, but also being separated from God forever for eternity in a place called hell. The other life is a life that's with God in the here and now, and I love how Paul puts in this word peace. I can't tell you how many people I mean. I'm sure you meet the same people who they just, they don't have peace in their life. The thing that is lacking from their life is a, just a sense of peace. They're restless with themselves. They're filled with anxieties and worries and fears. They have no peace. And what Paul says is life of the Spirit with the Spirit is life that is truly life and a life that is peace. Paul says hostile towards God. And I want to be clear on this word is, uh, it's not someone who's literally just indifferent towards God or someone who just really doesn't care much about God. A person who is walking life in the flesh is actually hostile 
towards God because it's the person who says, I know who you are and I honestly just don't care. I know actually what you've commanded. I know what you would want me to do and I just, I don't care. I've set myself up as a small G God and I'm just doing my own thing. Have you ever met someone who you just meet them and they're just, they're really just hard-hearted, really prideful towards God? Like you meet them and they're just so bent against anything, everything that is even related to God. I'm sure we all know people, and before you start running a really long list of, well, that person's really hostile, that person is hostile. Well, before you make that mental list uh, too long, the first name that has to be on that list is you. First name that has to be on my list is Michael Davis. Because unless the Holy Spirit intervened on my behalf, my life would be one that is hostile towards God. But life in the Spirit, life of the Spirit in me, working in me and through me, is the life that is at peace with God. Paul paints two pictures, two portraits. The first difference of the Holy Spirit makes in the life of a Christian, the life of a believer, is simply this. He enables you and I to live a life that is pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit, without the help of the Holy Spirit at work in my life, I got no shot at pleasing God. But if my life is submitted or surrendered to the Holy Spirit, it is a life that is pleasing to God. That's the first thing that we'll pick up here in Romans 8, is the Holy Spirit enables me to live a life that is pleasing towards God. He goes on in Romans 8, says, You, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And anyone does not have, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Okay, who is the you? Okay, he starts off in verse 9, you. So who is the you? Well, the you is, is you, if you're a Christian. So Paul is speaking right now specifically to people who have confessed Jesus as Savior, as the Christ, the Son of God, as Lord. People who, by grace, have received Jesus and have disciples or followers of Christ. So the you is speaking to if you are a Christian. What he's saying is if you're that person, it's not possible for you to live a life that's bent on the flesh. Why? Well, because the Spirit of God's in you. It's utterly impossible for you to have the Spirit of God living in you, but you, your life is bent, your mind, your heart is set on, the direction of your life is going towards the flesh. It's just not possible. Why? Well, because you've got the Spirit of God living in you. That's what Paul says. So the big question, obviously, is, well, is the Spirit of God living in you? Do you have the Spirit of the living God, the Holy God, the Spirit of Christ, as Paul refers to, 
Do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? Now, this is actually not a complicated answer. It's actually pretty simple, and it's as simple as, if you know Jesus, you got the Holy Spirit. If you don't know Jesus and have not confessed Jesus, you don't have the Holy Spirit. I can't have the Holy Spirit without confessing Jesus. And I can't confess Jesus and not have the Holy Spirit. They, they're a team. They work together. So very simply, it would be impossible for me to be a Christian. I just I want to be clear. A Christian is someone who has confessed that they are a sinner, that Jesus is the Savior, God's Son. Place my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a, I'm a Christian, a Christ one, a Christ follower. So it would be impossible to be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit living in you. So I'll ask again, do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? You only have to figure out one thing. Am, am I a Christian? Have I invited? Have I confessed and received Jesus? If you have, you have the Holy Spirit. Uh, another uh, pastor professor said this. His name's Dr. Uh, R.C. Sproul. When a person becomes a Christian and has authentic faith, okay, that's his way of saying you're the real deal. You're a genuine Christian. You're not just Christian by title because it's, you grew up in a Christian home. You're a genuine faith in Jesus. You understand who you are as a sinner and understand who the Savior is. So when a person becomes a Christian uh, and has authentic faith, he has a mystical, a real mystical union with Christ so that Christ really comes to indwell the believer. When we exercise faith in Jesus Christ, his righteousness is counted towards us and we are justified. At that same moment, Christ, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell inside us. The very moment that I'm declared just, righteous because of Jesus, that's when the Holy Spirit comes into my life. So back up, is the Holy Spirit, do you have a relationship? Is the Holy Spirit living in you? If you're a Christian, absolutely, yes. You don't have to have any doubt like, oh gosh, I feel like I somehow have lost the Spirit. I, I can't figure out, I feel like I misplaced Him. If you're a Christian, you can't lose Him. You can't misplace Him. So the question is, if you're really in a place where you're like, gosh, I... I don't know if I have the Holy Spirit in me and I think I lost him or can't figure this thing out. You don't need to begin a search of like, Holy Spirit, you know, come here. You actually just have to start with, gosh, do I know Jesus? And if you know Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. It's in Scripture, it's a promise of God that when we become Christians, justified, made right with God because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is sent, is deposited into our lives, never to leave us. I can't lose them. I can't misplace them. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. The second difference that the Holy Spirit makes is that we have complete assurance that we will be raised to everlasting life. This is towards the end of Romans uh, 8 uh, and 10 and 11. If you ever struggle with a question, and I think all of us have, when I die, am I really going to go to heaven? Am I really going to be with Jesus? Like at some level, we've all wrestled with this, and I, I'm guaranteeing there's got to be some people here today that are really, if I die today, I'm driving home and a truck skips into my lane and I get crushed. If I die, am I really 
going to heaven? And where is death in? As a Christian who has the Holy Spirit in me, the beautiful truth is I don't ever have to worry about that question. Why? Because the Spirit's in me. And as Paul says, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, guess what? That's the same Spirit that's in you. And when you die, He raises you to everlasting life. Because the Holy Spirit resides in me by faith in Jesus, I don't ever have to worry or wonder about, is it really going to work when I die? Spirit raised Jesus, the Spirit raises us. It's pretty interesting that the Holy Spirit is not only present in our life, but if the Holy Spirit's actually powerful enough to raise someone who was dead, meaning Jesus, back to life, then I'm wrestling with the question, the Holy Spirit is a powerful presence in my life. The question or the tension that I have, if, if that's true, why doesn't it seem like that the Holy Spirit is powerfully present in my life? What's wrong with me where I just feel like he's not powerfully present? If he's powerful enough to raise Jesus and promised to raise me and he's present with me at all times, why is this, where is the disconnect? And I have uh, a great quote from D.L. Moody and his response to this question of why doesn't it seem like the Holy Spirit is powerfully present living in me? His simple conclusion is because we're so full of other things. We've got so many other things in our life that literally just crowds out the work of the Spirit in our lives. He said this, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride, conceit, ambition, and the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled. It's a very simple principle of if I'm really not encountering, experiencing the Holy Spirit in me because of Jesus who's very present and very powerful, it might just be because there's so much other junk, namely sin, in my life. He named a few, you can name your own. So if you're the person who's wondering, it doesn't seem powerfully present, just ask yourself a simple question. Well, what else is present in my life? What else am I filled with right now? Whether it's just greed or, or lust for this or lust for that. or We know what it means to be filled with things. And if it's filled with just desires that are bent on sin, you're crowding out the Holy Spirit. The third difference that the Holy Spirit makes is that he enables me and you to put to death sinful ways. We've already covered two. This is number three. He says this in Romans 8. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. There's this word obligation in there. Okay, the third principle difference that the Holy Spirit makes is that he enables you and I to put to death sinful ways. Have you ever had, and this is a no-brainer question because it's happened to all of us, have you ever had someone just guilt trip you into something? 
They asked you to do something, but they asked in a very manipulative way. They just made you feel terrible if you said no. Uh, they just guilt-tripped you into doing whatever they needed, wanted you to do. It's absolutely horrific feeling when you're operating or living or doing something because it's all under the banner of, I was totally guilt-tripped into doing this. Can you imagine if that's what life with God was like? If God actually said, wow, look at everything I've done for you and you can't do this for me. I wanted to be clear, that's not at all what God is doing in our lives. When Paul says, therefore, brothers, sisters, we have an obligation. I'm not trying to pay back God for what he's done in my life. I'm not trying to be obedient to God and follow God and walk with God and listen to God and respond to God because of everything that he's done. It's the opposite. When I consider everything that he has done, the Holy Spirit is planting in me desires to say, I want to live this way. I desire to live this way. How could I not live this way in light of what he's done? I'm not trying to pay him back. I'm not guilt-tripped by God. I'm actually, out of gratitude, inspired and encouraged by the Spirit of God living in me to live in such a way where my life's not filled with sin. I see this a lot in... Christianity. I know I was this guy. I had one foot walking in the world and one foot walking with Jesus. I couldn't make up my mind. This seemed really appealing over here. I started to understand things like forgiveness and grace. I was like, wow, that's great. I like that. Ah, but this, I like this over here. And so for years and years, I didn't sit on a fence like Humpty Dumpty who couldn't make up his mind. I was walking both ways, which if you're there right now, or if you have been there, you know it's a miserable existence because it doesn't work to walk with one foot in the, in the ways of the world, just loving sin and trying to enjoy sin and choosing sin and walk in the way of trying to be obedient to God. How about this, guys? I'll ask a question to the men. Can you imagine you get married? She says yes. It's a great party, great celebration. Uh, you have a great reception. You go on the honeymoon. You have a phenomenal honeymoon. It's a blast. You go to whatever place, and it's just incredible. You come home off the plane, and your now wife looks at you and says, well, okay, I'll see you later. And you're like, when you say see you later, what do you mean? Well, I'm going to go back home. Well, no, see, the way marriage works is we're together now. And your wife looked at you and said, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm glad to be married to you, but I've got it much better in my own house. Like, it's a bigger house. My dad's got deep pockets, takes care of me, and I don't have to... I've seen where you live. I don't want to live there. <laughs> I have seen what I'm going to have to do, and I'll be married to you by title, and I'll check in with you on occasion, but I'm more comfortable where I've been for a really, really long time. Now, if you were that guy, you'd probably be like, wow, that's, that's, I didn't sign up for that. But i making this metaphor, as it were, because I think that's what a lot of our Christian walks look like. We got married, as it were, to Jesus. We accepted Jesus, and we had a honeymoon. It was great. I loved singing. Heck, I started singing in my car. I loved reading my Bible. But after the honeymoon period ended, it was a week, six months, a year, five years. 
what happened is you started hearing the call of back home. Like, oh, I really miss that. I miss being able to do this. I, I miss being able to indulge myself here and see this or do that. I mean, we get the concept of how offensive that would be if that actually happened in our life. How could we not understand that when we try to walk in the way of the world and walk with God, how utterly offensive that would be to him? The third thing that the Holy Spirit enables us to do is to put to death sinful ways. So obviously the question is, well, how do I stop sinning? I seem to do it often and it seems to come pretty natural. So how do I stop sinning? I have, I think, a pretty simple answer. And it's simply this. Stop battling the flesh with the flesh. I think most of us are beset by sin in our life because we're trying to fight that sin in our life in fleshly ways. Thinking, if I just do this, if I read my Bible more, if I pray more, if I serve more, if I give more, if I do something, then that sin will become less and less of reality. I'm battling the flesh in the flesh. And if you saw in Romans uh, chapter 8, it says, uh, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The only way that I can put to death the misdeeds of the body, meaning sin in my life, is by the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. If I'm the guy, you're the woman who's literally trying to fight flesh with flesh, it just won't work. If you want to win a knife fight, you don't show up to a fight with a knife. Show up with a gun. It's pretty simple. If I show up to fight someone with a knife, and we're just going to be scratching each other. And I, I'm not trying to be goofy, but that's what our struggle or battle with sin is. It just it doesn't work. Well, I have a gun. His name's the Holy Spirit, and he'll kill sin every time. It's, it's that simple. So when sin comes, when temptation is just egging me on, it's honestly as simple as, Holy Spirit, would you intervene for me? Take this desire and plant a new desire in my heart. I have to stop battling the flesh with the flesh and start battling the flesh with the Spirit because it's only the Spirit that can defeat the flesh. That was the third one. difference that the Holy Spirit makes is that he enables me to put to death sinful ways. Difference we've looked at so far enables me to live a life pleasing to God. Holy Spirit gives Christians assurance of eternal life. Number three, enables me to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And we'll finish with this one. Testifies that we are part of God's family. I mean, if I did not have the Holy Spirit in me, I would not ever be able to look at God and call him Father. I would not be able to look at God and say, Abba. I would not be able to look at you and you look at me and say, hey, brother or sister. Why? Because well, if I don't have the Holy Spirit, I'm not part of God's family. I can't call him dad. <laughs> Romans 8, 14 through 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Verse 14 again. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 
So when I've got that battle, my spirit, the Holy Spirit wins and says, no, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a child of God. Verse 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now it started at verse 14, I'll back up, for those who are led by the Spirit of God. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? If you're asked the question, what's God's will for my life? God, what am I supposed to do with my life? Am I supposed to marry this person, date this person, get rid of this person? Am I supposed to pursue this job, pursue that? God, what is your plan? Give me the big picture. What is your will for me? Ever asked that question? I think all of us have. The funny thing in Scripture is it is a rarity, a rarity that God reveals his total plan of answering that question for anyone. But yet it's the question that is all-consuming to so many of us. God doesn't want to lead us in those big moments of life. God wants to, in, in those big seasons of life, I mean, he wants to lead us in every moment of life. Uh, there's a great book, I put it out on the recommended read by Francis Chan called uh, Forgotten God. And um, it's a great book on the Holy Spirit. And he said this, it's much less demanding to think about God's will for your future than to ask him what he wants you to do in the next 10 minutes. It's safe to commit to following him someday instead of this day. We get consumed with, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I think God sometimes is like, well, how about let's just start a little simpler. What would I like you to do in the next five minutes? Being led by God means I'm continually asking that question, God, what would you have me do in this moment? So when you're standing in line, God, is there someone behind me, in front of me at the counter that I could bless or I could encourage? It's easy to say, God, I'm going to commit to you one day and follow you one day when you reveal to me one day what you have for me. Until then, I'll just kind of do my thing. It's totally a different thing to say, no, no, I'm going to live life led by God in the moments of every day. How do I cultivate a lifestyle of being led by God? If you know who you are and who God is, you'll be led by God. Make it hopefully pretty simple. If you know who you are and who God is, you'll begin enjoying being led by God day to day. What I think most of us don't understand is, I think we've heard of calling God Father, but we don't really understand what it means to actually relate to God as our Father. Like my kids, because they're so young, they get it. They come to me all the time with anything and everything. Why? Because I'm their dad. There's nothing that they don't come to me with. I never see one of my kids kind of sitting in the corner just thinking to himself, and I go over to him like, what's going on? No, 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 I'm fine, I'll figure it out. That's never happened. But I think most of us live life not understanding that God is our Father. We are His sons or daughters, and He wants to lead us and love us 
as a good father would. Now, I'm, I'm not uh, confused at all that even mentioning God as father to some of you, if God is father, I want nothing to do with him because your father was neglectful, maybe was abusive, was cruel, unfaithful, was not generous, not kind, not loving. And just the thought of even trying to get your mind around God as father, because the only thing you see is your father. And my only encouragement to you is he's not like that. He is not like that. And even come up with your best picture of your father, he's not like that either. He's better. He is absolutely better, faithful and loving and generous and gracious and caring, protective and secure. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does for me is bring security to my relationship with God. Why? Because he's the father and I'm his son and I can be completely, at all times, completely secure in that relationship. Again, I'm asking lots of questions that all of us have, have to answer yes to, but here's another one. Have you ever battled feelings of insecurity? Maybe that's really your world right now is just constantly feeling insecure about anything and everything. And it's easy to understand why. We live in a world where we're constantly rejected based on our performance, good or bad. Husbands reject their wives all the time. Wives reject their husbands. Parents reject their kids. Kids reject their parents. Kids reject other kids because... Silly reasons. We live in a constant state of, am I going to be rejected or am I going to be accepted? What the Holy Spirit does in me, for me, is affirms to me that I'm a son. You're a daughter. I'm a child of God. And if God is my father, I'm safe. I'm secure. Why? Because God is good as our father. This is what um, uh, really... Love this quote. Uh, This is something from Sinclair Ferguson, another theologian and author. He said this, The story of paradise lost becoming paradise regained is the story of God's grace bringing us from alienation from him to membership into his family. God's grace restores us to what Adam lost for us. Sonship to the God who made us, loves us, provides for us in every detail of life. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit who's residing in you. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for you is he affirms that you are secure with God as his daughter, as his son, as his child. This is such an imperfect metaphor, so forgive me for it, but what I had in my mind was I'm on death row. And I just wonder how amazing it would be if you're on death row And right before the switch is getting pulled, the warden comes in and says, you know what, I'm substituting my son for you. He will pay the penalty for your crime. That would be amazing in in and of itself. But what would be the next step that would just blow you away would be, I'm going to adopt you now as my child. I will take you on as my son, and I will love you and care for you and protect you and provide for you You will forever be secure. In one moment, hostile towards God, an enemy of God, deserving the full wrath of God, Jesus takes our place and God says, welcome to my family. How does that work? I can't compare that to anything, 
because God's not like anything we can compare him to. He's so other. Because the Holy Spirit lives, resides in me, he testifies that I am part of God's family. A few more questions. Two, Paul says, something in my spirit that just cries out, Abba. My kids usually call me great one, uh, awesomeness. <laughs> kids usually call me dad, okay? So walk around the house, and uh, if it's not great one or cool one, it's usually dad. I know when I hear daddy, someone's either really hurt um, or something's not wrong. So if I hear someone screaming daddy, I'm like, all right, what's up? I don't hear that often. My kids don't refer to me generally as daddy unless something big's going on. And I just wonder, as I was reading in uh, verse 15, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. I just wonder, when's the last time you cried out, your spirit, the spirit in you cried out, because Abba is Aramaic and it's our best translation, as it were, of daddy. When's the last time your, the spirit in you welled up and just cried out, Abba? And I was really wrestling with this and, and reading in a book I mentioned earlier by Francis Chan is, I think what he says, and I agree, that a reason that a lot of us don't cry out, Daddy, or Abba, is because our life is just too safe. Our life with God and before God is just too safe, meaning we feel closest to God when nearness to him is a necessity. I'm quoting him. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as comforter and helper. Why would we need to experience the comforter in our lives if we are already comfortable? Now, this is not the pitch of do something radical and crazy and see if the Holy Spirit shows up and... That's not the message to start living recklessly. But it is the message to say, I wonder if too many of our lives are just too safe. And there's never a point in time when I'm walking throughout my day where the Spirit is welling up in me, Abba, please show up. I don't know how to love this person. I don't know how to speak to this person. I want to bless them and encourage them and serve them. And I'm so filled with so much anger and hatred and just sin towards them. Abba, please, help me to love them well. Help me to be gracious. Help me to be generous. Too many of us live lives that are just too safe. So the Spirit is not crying out Abba in us because there's nothing in us in the way we live that is needing to depend and is on God as Father showing up. Cultivating a lifestyle of being led by God, understanding who we are as sons and daughters, living in dependence on Him, uh, and remembering, finish with this, I love this picture of if I'm a son, and if you're a woman, a daughter, and you know Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, you're a son or a daughter, then that means you're part of God's family. And as part of God's family, you've got huge responsibilities to live as one who is a kid of the King. Ever experienced in your family the one individual, and it might be you, so 
It was just totally selfish. They're not just the black sheep in the family. They're just the individual in the family who cares nothing about the family except themselves. They could care less about the family, other people in the family, or the family name. All they care about is themselves. Who cares about the family? It's all about me. And as I was just thinking about that simple question, it's like, wow, how different would Christianity look if daughters of God, sons of God, began to live not just with the privilege of being called a child, a son or daughter of God, but began to live with the great responsibility of what it means to be in God's family. One more quote from F.F. Bruce, another theologian author, said this, the term adoption may smack somewhat of artificiality in our ears, but in the first century A.D., an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was not Uh, He was no whit inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature and might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. Worthily. Long quote there, but what I wanted you to catch from that is an adopted son sees his role in his new family to make much of... The, the, the name of the father, the name, the character of the father. Meaning, as a son or a daughter of God, I'm not living to make something of me. I'm living to make something of God's family. I'm living to encourage and love and serve another brother. That doesn't mean I ignore people who have no clue who Jesus is. And this is what I'm, my conviction is. I believe God wants to use this family to invite a whole lot of other people into the fold, into the family of God. That's why we're here as a church. That's why we planted as a church, that God would use this family to invite other people who don't know God as Father, who don't know Jesus as Savior, who don't know the, the Holy Spirit can reside in you, to invite them into the family of God. It is our great joy. It's not a burden. It's not a pain. It is a great joy to come to someone and say, I love my family. I love my father. I want you to be part of that. That is not only a privilege of being called a son or daughter of God. It is a great responsibility. And one of the things I just want you to know about Genesis is we're going to do and work hard, not in our flesh, but led by the Spirit, to invite as many people as we possibly can into the family of God. That's what we're going to be about. That's what we're excited about. Because there's a lot of people who are lost and separated from God, and God would use this family to expand his family. We get to be part of that. That's amazing to me. Once hostile to God, now a son of God being used of God to introduce other people to God as Father. The Holy Spirit enables me to live a life pleasing to God. It gives Christians assurance of life and life everlasting, enables me to put to death the deeds of the flesh, and the Holy Spirit in me testifies that I'm a kid of the King. I'm a son, I'm a daughter of God, and God is good. He's a gracious Father. 
wells up in the spirit wells up in me to cry out abba 